Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Ecclesiastes chapter 11. One of my favorite passages in the entire corpus of God's Word tonight. Now, what we're going to do at the very beginning is a little uncomfortable and a little awkward, but I'm going to do it anyway. If you are 30 years old or younger, very briefly, just stand up. 30 years old or under, just stand up for a minute. I want us all to look at you and you to look at us just for a moment. Okay. There's no reason to clap. They haven't done anything. All right. If you are 25 years and older, stay standing. That means if you're 26 to 30, you sit down. Good. What? 25 and younger, stay standing. Thanks, honey. Okay, just for a minute, while they're standing, I want everyone to listen. This is going to be a little bit of an odd kind of um, sermon, because Solomon is primarily preaching to you tonight. So this is a sermon directed at you, and the rest of us get to listen and be convicted by it. You can sit down now. In order to get into this, I want to tell you a little story that you're probably somewhat familiar with. Jonathan Edwards, who is one of my historical heroes, was a preacher in New England in the township of Northampton, arguably the most gifted and important theological thinker in American history. When he was 19 years old, 19, he sat down with a quill and with paper, and he wrote out a series of commitments, a series of statements that revealed his determination to bring every area of his life under the subjection of the lordship of Christ and to rest in the sovereignty of God. You probably know by now that I'm talking about his resolutions. Each one of these 70 statements began with the word resolved with a colon, and then he would be uh, explained what he was resolved to do or to be. The first of his resolutions is this. It's the fountain from which all the rest flowed. He said, resolve that I will do whatsoever I think to be most to God's glory and to my own good, my own profit, my own pleasure in the whole of my duration without any consideration of the time, whether now or never, so many myriads of ages since. Hence, in other words, I want to do everything I can to maximize God's glory because I know doing that will bring about my good. The second resolution is equally as important. Let me read it. Resolved to be continually endeavoring to find out some new invention and contrivance to promote the aforementioned things. What he's saying is this. I want to be quick to figure out ways to remind myself of what I need to be reminded of to live for the glory of God. He was 19. I would encourage you, it's free PDF multiple uh, formats online to download those 70 resolutions and see if you can match in any sense his commitment as he took those resolutions and preached those as sermons, get this, to himself. There's no agreement regarding the criteria for old or old age, is there? I mean, think about it. It can mean a lot of things. For example, an Olympic gymnast is old and typically retires by 22. A grandmother can seem young at 38 or 40. Old and young are relative. And no matter how old you think you are or what you think of the aging process and how you define it, 
you and I have to eventually face the fact that we are getting old. I, I face this every day. My ankles start, start um, holding weight when I get out of bed, and they yell to the knees. The knees get a little frustrated. They tell the hips and then the shoulders, and then the shower. Praise God for showers. Amen. <laughs> Thinking about getting older and eventually dying is the core thrust of Ecclesiastes. Face your coffin, Solomon says. See yourself there. Understand that one day someone will sit at a funeral for you. What's amazing, though, as we've looked at Ecclesiastes week by week, actually for a couple of years now, is that thinking about the end, death, getting old, are looked at as motivation for how to live rightly when you're young. I don't think you're able to live until you're ready to die. And if you're ready to die, then you really know how you should live. Listen to Edward's 17th resolution. Resolve that I will live so as I wish I would have done when I come to die. Wow. I want to live so that if I were to come to the end of my life and look back at how I'm living now, I would be pleased with the decision and choices I've made. So we're going to look together at Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verses 7, all the way through chapter 12, verse 8, because it's one unit. And I want to find with you two resolutions, kind of in the, in the thinking of Edwards, two resolutions for living a life of no regrets. Two resolutions for living a life of no regrets. The first is this. You need to redeem the prime of life. Redeem the prime of life. First thing under this is uh, a little subpoint: enjoy your youth. It's kind of an interesting command, enjoy your youth. Look at verses 7 and 8 of Ecclesiastes 11. The light is pleasant, and it is good for the eyes to see the sun. If, indeed, a man should live many years, let him rejoice in them all. And let him remember that the days, the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything that is to come will be futility. This is the best part of Ecclesiastes in some sense. It's what we've been working so hard to get to for so long. The introduction to the book, Solomon says that all is vanity, all is steam off a cup of coffee, a little Hebrew word called hebel, hevel. It's there for a moment and it's gone. Now we find Solomon unplugged. He's almost done with the book. You can look and see the end of the book from where you're looking on your page. He uses a word picture here in verse 7 that he's going to continue out the closing verses of the book. Light here is a metaphor for life, just as darkness in the next verse is a metaphor for death. Also, he'll show up as darkness and death in chapter 12. Now, he uses these two words uh, to describe life here. Uh, matok, sweet, and tov, good. Life is good. It's sweet. And the two words come together to imply that it's not only good, it should be savored and enjoyed. But there's a contrast there. Note in verse 8 that enjoying life is to be a lifelong venture and it's best started when we're young because there's going to be more days when we're dead than there are when we're alive. Is that pretty profound? Enjoy the days of light, life, because one day you're going to have the days of darkness, death, and they are many. There are more days dead than alive. 
It's simple but profound. I mean, have you ever really thought about the fact that you are going to be dead a lot longer than you're going to be alive? That's Solomon's point. That's Solomon's mind here. And the second warning here is that life is vanity. It's havel. It's, it's, it doesn't yield its joys very easily. You have to look for them, search them out, find them to enjoy them. And when you find them, they don't last. But we can and should enjoy them as, as they come and not take them or yourself too seriously. The roller coaster, as fun as it is, always comes to a stop. Cotton candy, as sweet as it is, melts in the mouth. So what do we do in light of that? This is amazing. Number two, letter B here, enjoy, excuse me, explore the world. Verse nine is almost, <laughs> you almost say, is this a command? Now, the New American Standard uses some words here. I'm going I'm to retranslate and give them more of a contemporary understanding. Rejoice, young man. Literally, have a blast. Enjoy life. Grab everything you can to bring you pleasure, young man, young woman. During your childhood is really not the best translation. During your youth, during your 30 years old and younger, literally. Rejoice. It's a command to be happy in life. Some people think God is an old curmudgeon upstairs just throwing down lightning bolts to make our life miserable. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Look how he goes on. Let your heart be pleasant, literally thrilled during the days of young manhood when you're young and you can enjoy life. Enjoy life. And here it comes. Here it is. Follow the impulses, inclinations, the ways, your desires of your heart and the longings, the desires of your eyes. Can you believe God said that? Those that had stand a minute ago, God says it's a command for you in this section of your life, in this season of your life, to get all you can out of it and to have fun and to enjoy it. If something tastes good, enjoy the taste. It will have different effects on you later. <laughs> if you can run a marathon, run it now. Your body will be mad at you for such a thought later. If you want to go on a road trip, go on a road trip. You want to get up early and watch the sunrise, do that. You want to stay up late talking with friends? Do that. Have a blast is what he's saying. We are told to pursue happiness when we're young. How young? The Hebrew is not descriptive. It just means younger and not older, as we'll see in the next chapter. Do it now, no matter how, you're, how you feel or what your age is. Enjoy life while you can. There's a little implied uh, understanding for us as parents, and that is to not make, not make our kids' youth burdensome, let them have fun. Let your kids have fun. I, I love the story that my, my uh, uh, mom used to tell of I was probably two years old and um, just old enough to walk around. And uh, she was, I was a firstborn, which meant that cleanliness was important to my mom, you know, and 
You know, you wash the pacifier when you drop it. That always happens with the first child, doesn't it, parents? And by the third, you're like, you know, just rub it on your jeans. It's fine. Well, at one point, my dad had a little bit had enough. He took me out, and there's pictures of this, took me out in a giant mud hole beside our house and just let me after it. And according to what he said, I had a blast. I was just muddy, and my mom and dad had a discussion. <laughs> but I remember my mom saying that was so good for her to say, let, let the kids have fun. There's a difference between having fun and doing wrong. Have fun. Look at what he says here. Follow the impulses of your heart. Wow. The Bible says that. Follow the impulses of your heart, the ways of your heart, what your heart wants to do. And look at the second, and follow the desires of your eyes, literally the sights of your eyes. The eyes are the instruments of the heart. One of the reasons God gave us sight is to see all there is in the world to enjoy. One of the reasons he gave us ears is to hear everything we can enjoy. The senses are intended by God to enjoy and navigate this planet. You are commanded by God, this is such good news, to go enjoy life and to do it while you're young because the next chapter is going to say it's not easy when you're old. So, under the authority of God's word, I want to tell you, enjoy your life right now. Have a blast. Follow your desires. Do what you want to do. Enjoy life, what God has given you to do. Do it. And you say, that sounds too good to be true. Well, not too good to be true, but with a footnote. Letter C, and expect an accounting. Look at the end of verse 9. Yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. <laughs> Is that is that bait and switch? Is God saying, go have a blast and then I'll get you for it? No, no. Exact opposite. He's saying there are parameters of God's obedience inside which you can enjoy yourself all you want. But when you step outside of those parameters, literally the covers of your Bible, and begin to pursue things and enjoy things that, that are sinful, he says that's off balance. That's out of, out of permission. That's 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 crossing the line. So let's back up and put those two together. If we're going to expect an accounting, what does it mean to enjoy life? It means, now get this, that God's children, young and old, we can translate that in New Testament language, believers in Christ, Christians, listen, can enjoy the joys of this life more than anyone else can because we actually attach them to God. Said another way, you will never be happier than when you're enjoying God's gifts as gifts of God. Let me be silly about it, can I? No one should enjoy, and I'm, 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 I'm being silly and absolutely serious, no one should enjoy a hot Krispy Kreme donut better than a Christian. You know why? Because we can give God glory for it. We can say, God, thank you for giving me taste and different buds on different parts of my tongue that can distinguish sweet and sour. Thank you that someone invented this machine and invented this sugar glaze goodness and diabetes and, and, and this uh, <laughs> sugar glaze goodness. And we can eat that and say, what a God who let me live in this age and gave me the opportunity to enjoy this. 
I like fountain pens. When I write with a fountain pen, I can thank God that I live in an age that has a fountain pen that works, Aaron. Um, His typically don't work. User error, but that's another whole thing. (laughs) And I can glorify God with that in a way an unbeliever can't. Taking a walk. Overland Park. On the bike trail. With my wife. We can say, what a God that God uses. He's beginning to start this process that he is going to kill all of the leaves on the trees and make them explode with color that I can enjoy and say, what a God. You enjoy life. Sounds and the tastes and the smells, but you do it inside God's permission. You do it inside knowing that there's an accounting for this. You don't do it in a way that abuses God by disobeying God. Over the line, selfishly, indulgently. Because remember Hebrews 4.13, there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. There is an accounting coming. Romans 14.10, we will all stand before the judgment of God. This impending threat leads Solomon to set the second condition for living a life of no regrets. There's, there's another command here, and it's to remove something. Look at verse 10. Remove grief and anger from your heart. Put them away from your, away, pain from your body, because being young and the prime of life are fleeting. One of the ways you can take this is take care of yourself when you're young. You put all this data together and what he's saying is put away anything that will bring you disfavor in the final judgment. He's telling us to consider what we're sowing because one day we will reap in the end. Even if we don't reap in this life, we will reap in eternity. Furthermore, we need to hurry. Why? Prime of life is fleeting. Oh, you're so tired of hearing this, young people. You are so sick of hearing this. People look at you and say, you have no idea how fast life goes, how quickly time passes. I remember hearing people say that and say, you are really depressing. And then I got older, and I started telling my kids, you have no idea how fast time goes. Many of the desires and choices, excuse me, the choices you make as a young person, though, could become irreversible. One day, you might sit across a table with a bagel like happened to me this summer and my son started asking me questions about my youth. Looked me straight in the eye and said, Dad, were you and Mom pure before you got married? We were, but I wasn't thinking about that question when we were. You can think about that question now. Dad, what was your experience with drinking and drugs and 
seductive sins have a good answer. You're, you're making the answer for your children now. What's funny is as I say that, all of us in my generation are going like this. You are giving, you are, you are creating answers for the questions that your children might ask you. Don't let the pleasures of your youth become barriers to God and eternal values, and yet you can have an incredible time being young, and you have to do it young because it's harder when, you, when you're older, and that's where we come to next. Second resolution is this. How do you live a life of no regrets? Number two, resolve to recognize the giver of life. Resolve to recognize the giver of life. Now, Solomon keeps talking to the younger generation, but he does so with an earshot of the rest of us. So let's break this down a bit. First, he says, remember your creator. Remember your creator. Chapter 12, verse 1. And this is we've talked about this over and over. Remember your creator when? In the days of whose youth? Your youth. Solomon is preaching the book of Ecclesiastes to young people. Have you recognized how heavy it is? How philosophical it is? How esoteric it can be? Yes, Solomon expects that young people can hear that, respond to it, and apply it. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Edward said this. Remember your creator. If you put it off, intending to do so for a little while, listen to this. Ten to one, you will put it off until youth is past. And then ten to one, you will put it off until life is past. The joy, the freedom, the happiness of following your desires is not to be dampened by the knowledge of coming judgment, only controlled by the knowledge of coming judgment. He says, remember your creator. Now, you live in a world, those of you who are in school, you live in a world where you have choices put before you all the time. There are really only three options for your belief regarding the creator and the creation. Only three. First, you believe in materialistic evolution, which means that nobody plus nothing equals everything. That's genius. That's good math. Nobody plus nothing equals everything. Materialistic evolution. Or you might believe in what's come to know, be known as theistic evolution, which means God started the evolutionary process and enters in at certain points to help, but pretty much kind of wound it up and let it go. Or you can take the third option, which is God made the universe just like he said he did. And if he had meant ages and long periods of time, he could have said that. There's Hebrew words for that. He said six days and he rested. Remember your creator, the one who did that. It's God who created life. It's God then who holds men accountable to revere him because he is the one to whom they owe their lives, our lives. We need to understand then the choices we we live within the boundaries of God's moral standards because he's the giver of life, or we live according to our own standards and forfeit the meaning of life. Follow your own morality and enjoying the true meaning of life are mutually exclusive. It is interesting here. There's a lot of words. Those of the, the, Some of the, the TES students can take you out to lunch and they'll have a field day with us. Just ask them some of the Hebrew names for God. 
there's Yahweh, there's um, Elohim, um, a lot of uh, Adonai, a lot, lot, lot of words you could use. This one's interesting. Out of all those words for God, he says, remember not God, not Lord, not... Remember your creator. Why that? Why did he choose that attribute and attribution of God? Because it's this about God that gives him the seat of judgment that will dominate the rest of the chapter. Because he's the creator, he's the judge. I think one of Satan's biggest lies and attacks today is aimed at removing God as the creator because if God is not the creator, then his judgment has no context and he has no right to judge. We can say it this way. Evolution is perhaps the most elaborate and well-received lie in Satan's entire career. Jesus said he's a liar from the beginning. I don't know of a better one than evolution. That nobody plus nothing equals everything. Genius. Edwards preached on this text. I want to steal a few lines from him, okay? I'm still speaking to those strapping young people, okay? This is what he said. They who dedicate themselves entirely to God early in life give their whole lives to God, which must be more acceptable to him than those who dedicate only a small part at the latter end of their life, having given the best and the earliest years to Satan. Now, God will certainly save a thief on a cross. God will save someone on their deathbed, and he is glorified in that. But the possibility of extending glory to him for your whole life, Edward says, ought to be an aim as a young person. He goes on to say, ordinarily those persons who seek salvation in their youth haven't done so much to harden and stupefy their hearts as others will have done. They haven't sinned so often against their consciences. The more often acts of sin are repeated against one's conscience, the more softness there is to sin in the conscience. He's right. Which leads us to a pretty funny part of Scripture. Letter B, you need to recognize your brevity. Recognize your brevity. It, this gets really interesting. Um, remember your creator when you're young, and then he says, before evil days come. You can't think of the word evil here in, in terms of morally evil. He's saying catastrophic, bad. Is it not from the most of the heart, uh, the, the, the mouth of the both? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both evil, ill, and good come forth in Lamentations 3? Same word. It just means calamity. He's sovereign over everything. Not moral evil. He doesn't create moral evil, but he's sovereign over what we would consider bad things. He says, before the bad days things come, and the years draw near when you say, I have no delight in them, he's saying, the older you get, you begin to say, you know, heaven that I used to try to put off is actually a welcome thought. Edward said this in, in Revol, uh, his uh, 52nd resolution. Resolved, I frequently hear persons in an old age say how they would live if they were to live their lives over again. Resolve that I will live just so as I think I shall wish I had done, supposing I perchance might live to an old age. 
powerful. And then he takes a shot at us, older folks. I keep wanting to identify with the younger crowd, and my conscience won't let me. But anyway, he says, listen, before the, uh, before the evil is coming, then he describes it, Number, verse 2. Before the sun, the light, and the moon, and the stars are darkened, and clouds return after the rain. What does that mean? There's just nothing to look forward to. Those of us who are a little more mature, remember when you looked forward to things? Remember Christmas morning? And it would drive your months before that, this anticipation. You look forward to that and about so many things, a trip, an experience. That kind of diminishes as you get older. Solomon says that. You just have less to look forward to. Verse 3, in the day when the watchmen of the house tremble, this is shaking of the hands, the watchmen of the hands, they're what keep you from hurting yourself when you fall and they begin to tremble. One of my heroes of my life, who I love so much, who's now with the Lord, Bill Zimmer, um, as he was getting older and developing some Parkinson's, his, his tremors would come in his hands, and I'll never forget what he said. He said, I praise God for these tremors because it reminds me I'm one day closer to home. And mighty men stoop refers to the weakening of the legs. Sometimes you just have a cane or a wheelchair or help getting around. You, the legs are weakened. The grinding ones stand idle because they are few. You lose your teeth. One of the most unfortunate facts about life is the problem of teeth. I think it's interesting we begin life on baby food and end life on baby food, but that's another sermon. Start losing your teeth. And those who look through windows grow dim. This is obviously your eyes. You can easily follow the disintegration of your eyes. I remember having reading glasses that I could take off and still see. Then I remember having bifocals that helped me see close and far. Then I moved to trifocals. They give me multiple distances. And I think that um, they're going to get thicker and thicker. I was in Russia teaching a, a, a preaching seminar. Literally, I, I had just turned 40. It was within two months of me turning 40. And I was reading my notes just like this. I was standing in front of a group of Russian pastors. And I was reading my notes, and I kept noticing that I kept backing up because I couldn't see it when I was closer. And you start doing this. Young people just realize this, this is good, and then you go there, and then you go there, and then you come here. And then you just ask your wife, could you please read this for me? Because I can't see it anymore. Your eyes go. Verse 4. And the doors and the straight are shut, and the sound of the grinding meal is low. And one will arise at the sound of the bird, and all the daughters of song will sing softly. This is one of the strangest parts of growing old. And Solomon paints it for us tongue-in-cheek. It's, it's the loss of hearing. Some sounds are at a distance as if they don't even make a sound, and yet others will keep an older person up all night. I remember my grandmother used to live with us, and I remember, you know, turning up the television, turning up the television, turning up the television, and you can, you're like feeling vibrations. You know, Mama, can you hear it? Yes, I can hear it. Great. She can't hear anything. 
A few minutes later, the television would be off. I'd be in the other room, and I'd say something, something whispering to, to my brother Mark. I heard that. How does that work? That's exactly the process Solomon is saying here. It's weird. Furthermore, men are afraid of a high place and terrors on the road, a heightened sense of danger. My same uh, mamma who used to live with us, I remember so distinctly. I had just turned 16. I was going out to drive, and she said, wait a minute, Ricky, you be careful out there. I said, yes, ma'am, I'll be careful. And she says, you be really careful. I said, yes, ma'am, ma'am, I'll, why should I be careful? And she says, there's bad people in the world. <laughs> this heightened sense of danger. <laughs> and the almond tree blossoms. You ever seen an almond tree? When it blossoms, it's white. This is gray hair. And the grasshopper drags himself along. It just takes a little longer to get places than, than it used to. My wife just, just recently started making fun of me. She thinks I'm on an old Tim Conway skip. Most of you don't understand this. But I get up and I start going. I got my phone, my wallet, my keys. My, it just, just takes a little longer. And the caper berry is ineffective. You ever, you ever put capers on your fish or capers in your salad? Capers are a small olive. Caper berries are ineffective. You, you lose your sense of taste. Back to my grandfather, who put enough salt on french fries to open like a salt mine. It was just, I mean, you, he didn't sprinkle. He just poured, unscrewed. That's, okay, that's good. Loss of taste. Not a pretty picture. Rate of tears on the road, awesome, awesome tree blossoming, grasshopper dragging himself along, capability ineffective. For a man goes to his eternal home while mourners go about in the street. We've seen this before. It's our funeral. People will come to our funeral and they'll be sad and rightfully so and they'll enjoy a moment of comfort from others and it'll be grieving and then they're going to go on with life and that's the grace of God. Verse 6, silver cord is broken, the golden bowl is crushed, a picture of the impotency of money to stop the aging process or of the inevitability of death. I knew a man who was one of the wealthiest men I'd ever met he developed a very aggressive form of cancer and spent most of his wealth trying to rid himself of it and didn't. Money can't forestall God's day of our death. The picture is by the well and shattered at the wheel of the cistern and is crushed. Again, the fact is underlined that once death happens, there's no more chances. It's done. Verse 7, then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. There is an afterlife. There's a judgment that we'll see in the next section that God promises. So, the bottom line is there are things to worry about, but nothing more worrisome than meeting God. So, verse 8, vanity of vanities. 
That's where we began the book, isn't it? All is vanity. Can I quote Edwards again? Experience teaches us that when young persons spend their youth in sin, God often leaves them to the hardness of their heart all their lifetime after. God is provoked by how many may sin away their youth and flatter themselves that they will seek God later when they're older, when youth is past. But God is provoked by their presumption and leaves them to go on as they have been. Solomon's conclusion is where the book of Ecclesiastes began. The point is that life is short and you better figure it out and what matters most. So let me turn back to that group of people that I asked to stand. Are you remembering your creator now? Is God the focus? Is he the meaning of your life? Or is he just something you think about Wednesdays and maybe some on Sundays? I find it interesting that so many people, so many people, put such little stock in the reality that young people can respond to God. Do you know who believes that young people respond? The devil believes that. And he begins really early. He believes in his influence and he wills it at every category and every dimension from every angle he can. And we sometimes in the church just throw up our hands and say, well, maybe they'll get it someday. Solomon's saying, no, get it today. Don't let life pass. You want to be a mature, godly young man or young woman? Take someone with gray hair out to lunch. I'm serious. And say, tell me how I can live my life better based on your experience. Now, here's the good news. The oldest person on the planet is not in this room, which means that relatively all of us are in the category of young, right? Relative to someone who's older, meaning all these principles apply to us too. If you think that when you, once you turn 40 or 50 or 60 or 70, you stop having fun and there's no joy in life, you're missing the whole point. There's lots of joys, more than I could ever list. But it's different when you're bearing the responsibilities of life and your body is falling apart than it was when you're 18. So here's, enjoy life. Solomon is commanding you to enjoy your life because you'll have time for business later. Not to be irresponsible, because God will bring you to account, but he's given you this world and this life to enjoy. No one should do it more than a believer.